Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. Now, let's get started with your host, Karen Egan. Hello, welcome to Hancock Talks, and thanks for being with us. Today, our focus is on long-term care, why financial professionals need to proactively discuss it with their clients, and how they can help them see the benefits of planning ahead in order to avoid what many refer to as the informal caregiver crisis. Here to talk more about this is Jennifer White, product manager for John Hancock Insurance. Jennifer has a robust background in long-term care. She was previously the director of corporate relations for the Corporation for Long-Term Care Certification Program, and she worked within a firm to significantly increase their long-term care insurance revenue. To Jennifer, though, this is not just about revenue. It's about a subject often misunderstood by both financial professionals and their clients. So Jennifer, with that in mind, Share with us why you think we have so many informal caregivers today. I will. Thank you, Karen. I'm really glad to be here talking about it because many people don't think about long-term care until they're actually in the middle of it. And that means families are left to make decisions in a time of crisis. And for people who haven't had a personal experience with long-term care, and what I mean by that is helping somebody who needs assistance with day-to-day tasks like getting dressed or getting in and out of bed or providing supervision because their loved one has a cognitive deficiency. They may not understand the impact providing such care can have not only on their finances, but also on those people closest to them. So let's first consider that many chronic conditions can be managed with medications and therapies. Americans are living longer, but not necessarily in the best of health or independently. And we already know it's very expensive to spend many years in retirement, but think about that added challenge of needing to pay 10 or $15,000 per month to afford the care and services you need to keep your spouse or your parents safe at home. No matter someone's net worth, an unplanned expense like this impacts savings and even their retirement income. And if care is needed over an extended period, it could significantly impact their existing plans for a secure retirement. And so given this cost, many families will look for ways to manage as long as they can before bringing in outside professional help because they believe they can't afford to do otherwise. And even if they have the means to pay out of pocket for a period of time, they don't know how long they will have to provide it for. Therefore, they are hesitant to kind of open the floodgates on their financial portfolio. So the bottom line is when there's a need for long-term care, families really only have two options. They can pay for someone to come in and provide the care, or they can provide it themselves. And the latter is what's referred to as informal caregiving, when unpaid and untrained caregivers are providing what's often very physically and emotionally demanding care to loved ones with chronic conditions. Right. So providing informal care now is being referred to as a crisis. Why is that? Well, the crisis is really developed because so many informal caregivers own all of the caregiving responsibilities. So let's consider a couple who are 20 years into retirement. And if you ask them, who will provide long-term care if you need it? They might say, well, my spouse will take care of me. But you have to consider the ability of an 82-year-old woman to lift her 85-year-old husband in and out of bed or in and out of the tub, 
Right. Typically, you'll find one spouse is just as frail as the other. And providing hands-on assistance to someone who needs help with daily activities can make them frailer and sicker than the person that they're actually taking care of. So instead of the spouse, let's consider this couple's daughter. She might live 45 minutes away. She has a full-time job. And she's raising two children of her own, getting them to soccer practice or piano lessons and so on. And she's also focused on funding her 401k and maintaining her household. Add the responsibility of having to go to our parents' house every day to get her dad in and out of bed. How would she manage? And what impact would that have on her family and her lifestyle? Or what if her dad had some form of dementia and needed 24-hour supervision to keep him safe? So it's important to understand that caregiving isn't easy and can be all-consuming for informal caregivers. That antidote is so relatable. I'm sure we can all think of an example where a friend or a family member has been faced with, you know, a long-term care need and they do not have plans in place, you know, and then the family ends up resorting to informal caregiving. Right. Actually, a close friend of mine just went through this this past year with her family. It started 15 years ago when their uncle, his name is Theo, he started showing signs of dementia. And it was a very slow progression over that time. And it became really hard. And during the whole time, his wife had been taking care of him. And even though she worked hard her entire life, had a nice nest egg, she didn't bring in outside help. And I think the whole family would agree that she took better care of him than she did of her. But the mental and physical strain on her was really, really noticeable. And I think the thing about dementia that a lot of people don't realize is the psychological aspect to cope. And it would just cause him to be like emotionally and abusive towards his wife. And towards the end, he was forgetting how to swallow. And even though he wanted to eat a steak, he physically couldn't swallow it. And so with that, as you can imagine, he got very frustrated. Sure. So, you know, he didn't want to shower, he couldn't make it to the bathroom, he couldn't clean up after himself, and this was all because of his illness. But his wife took care of him, making sure he went to the doctor, making sure he was fed, you know, she used every tactic in her arsenal to try to get him to shower and change and bathe, but was not really successful all the time. And it actually had been over a year since he had been able to take a shower. Wow. You know, that's a tough situation, but you anyone can see how easily that can develop and how that can happen. I mean, it's instinctual that you're going to care for the one that you love. You're going to care for your partner. So I'm sure initially it may seem possible, but over time that toll just becomes enormous. Right. And for a lot of people, they'll do it until the decision's been taken out of their hands by someone else. (laughs) And in this case, the last day that she took care of her husband was the day she was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, which is so awful. And Mm -hmm. you can only imagine the crisis that ensued after was overwhelming for the entire family. Um, You know, everyone had to step in to not only help take care of her, but now both individuals. And they're trying to obviously process the death sentence that the wife was given while also trying to find care for this gentleman who barely understood what was even happening. And of course, his mood and attitude were made even worse by not having his reliable sole caretaker by his side. So their kids who lived on the other side of the country had to immediately come home dealing with the agony and the stress and the sadness that was prevalent during those days. 35 days after Thea's diagnosis, her husband went into a memory care facility. And it was an extraordinarily hard decision, but the kids knew that they could not care for their father. You know, he had been described as difficult as best, but this was all given his disease. Yeah. I mean, it's such a hard decision for them to make. Share with us, you know, how did Theo do in that new environment? 
Well, it is a painful decision for families to have to make when they put somebody in a facility, but this is actually the silver lining in the story. Within a day at this memory care facility, they were able to get him to do more than he had done in the past 15 years. And what people don't think about is that having professional care specific to someone's disease, they were able to get him to shower, better manage his continence, and they were even able to get him to socialize and play games. You know, these are things that the family really never thought he'd want to do or that he needed to do. Unfortunately, though, his wife had died two days later from his admittance to the facility. But keep in mind, she was also five years younger than him, but passed away first. Well, gosh, I'm glad he was able to get the care that he needed, but it's sad, right, that his wife didn't get to see him in a more comfortable environment. So share with us a little bit about the cost. What did it cost for them to get that type of that quality of care for him? Well, it was expensive for the memory care facility. It was about $8,000 per month. There was actually regret for what could have been if they had actually done it sooner. You know, what impact would it have had on his wife's illness? Would she have gone to the doctor sooner? Could they have caught it sooner? Did the stress of taking care of him actually add to her disease? And then you have to think about what impact would it have had on the progression of his illness and his quality of life? You know, if he felt better and had assistance with keeping up with his hygiene, maybe the progression of his illness wouldn't have been as steady. So nobody obviously knows the answers to this, but the family does know the benefit that professional care could provide. And if they knew it, then they would have done it a lot sooner. Because the types of diseases typically progress slowly. And by the time it's obvious someone needs care, not only does the cost factor into the decision to continue this informal caregiving scenario, but so does the unrealistic thought that nobody could take care of a difficult individual or nobody could do it better than their informal caregiver. So with informal caregiving, it brings emotional and physical challenges. And it's really no wonder why so many caretakers become sick or depressed or even predeceased the loved one that they're actually caring for. So having a plan for long-term care can help ensure access to specialized care and services provided by people who have the specialized training to safely assist them when they need care. So talk to us about why producers should bring up the subject of long-term care in general with their clients. Absolutely. Well, as financial professionals, our job is to create plans to help protect families as well as finances. And a long-term care plan is an essential part of that as it helps protect their clients' other assets from being disrupted or liquidated if they had to pay for such care. And what if they don't plan for a long-term care need and then they have to reallocate retirement income that's needed to actually pay for their typical day-to-day expenses? Well, what if they were planning to pay for their grandchild's education or they're trying to continue to maintain a vacation home that their family goes to? And what if they actually need to liquidate assets to do this? And consider the tax implications of doing that as well as market conditions. So that's one part. But I think the second factor is to think about, you know, as a financial professional, the impact on your business and your reputation. If somebody has to liquidate assets, what impact will it have on your assets under management? And what would their children think if you didn't help protect their parents from this kind of looming issue? And would the kids turn to you to manage their funds? Probably not. Or would they just move on to somebody else? So plans for long-term care should include more than just how to pay for it. Other questions to consider should include things like, Who will provide the care? Where will it be provided? Where would it be delivered? And who will oversee or coordinate it? So planning for all aspects of long-term care, not just the costs, can help limit the strain and disagreements among children and other family members. 
And it's important to understand that caregiving can be all-consuming. It's rarely split evenly among family members. And making decisions when someone already needs help can add even more stress to an already very stressful time. So why do you think more people are not planning for long-term care? I mean, given the consequences of not doing so, why do you think they're not? Well, I think there's a couple of key reasons. One lies with the financial professionals themselves. Many don't understand long-term care and therefore are not comfortable discussing it. And also some think in terms of a client's assets rather than their income. And they'll just simply recommend that they can self-insure. But unless someone has actually set aside a specific asset that can be used to pay for long-term care, then they don't really have a plan to pay for it. No, it doesn't matter how much your clients are worth. They still need a clear plan for how and where the care will be delivered and how it will be paid for. And I think the second key reason is that they simply think that something else is going to pay for long-term care if it's needed. So one example is people believe that their health insurance and Medicare will pay for long-term care, but this is not the case. Neither one does. Medicaid will pay for long-term care. However, it can be very expensive for anyone with means to qualify. When you consider the tax implications of transferring or giving away assets, the strategy is very costly for many clients. And even if somebody manages to qualify for Medicaid, it will pay for their care, but it's typically in the place of last resort, which is a skilled nursing facility. So this is why it's essential to not only think about how to pay for it, but also discuss with your clients where they want it provided and how they want to receive it. This is all part of creating a plan. So unless financial professionals consistently address this topic with their clients as they plan for retirement, informal caregivers will likely continue to shoulder most of the responsibilities, as well as the emotional, physical, and financial consequences associated with providing long-term care. Well, Jennifer, thanks for sharing all of your insights with us today. I appreciate you joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. And hopefully we've helped some people think a little differently about the need to plan for long-term care in retirement. Let's shift gears a little and go to the advanced market segment of the show. With us today is Anna Conalos, Director of Advanced Markets with John Hancock. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Karen. Happy to be here to focus in on such an important topic. So the state of Washington just introduced new legislation with regards to state-funded LTC. Talk to us about that. Absolutely. Last year, Washington State signed into law the Long-Term Care Trust Act. It's the first public state-level long-term care insurance program of its kind. The act seeks to provide Washington workers with basic publicly funded long-term care protection. This program underscores the significant impact that long-term care costs have on a state's budget and reflects the importance of identifying options for how to pay for these costs. With a vast majority of Americans woefully underinsured or uninsured for long-term care needs, the act is a step towards addressing the serious issue. The bigger question is, will this new program be enough for all Washington residents? Yeah, so what's actually covered? Great question. And unfortunately, I can't get into the nitty gritty details, but at its core, the program is funded by employee wages through a payroll deduction. Once the employee is vested, they will be eligible for this program. Most importantly, for high income earners, the law does not include a cap on wages, which means that high income earners could pay premiums in excess of their lifetime maximum benefit provided by the law, currently set at $36,500. Wow. Are there any exemptions to this or or does this apply to all Washington employees? 
Yeah, an employee who attests that they have coverage for long-term care may apply for an exemption and opt out of the program. Once an exempt employee opts out of coverage, he or she is permanently ineligible for coverage under the program, but is not required to pay any of the premium tax either. In the time we have, I can't go into all the details, but it is important to note that Washington workers who have an eligible rider offering long-term care benefits may decide to opt out of the program by attesting that they have existing long-term care coverage. It's groundbreaking and it's interesting for sure, but it's state specific. So what would you say really is the takeaway? Yeah, Washington's new program is a groundbreaking step towards addressing the long-term care crisis. At best, the program may raise awareness of the issues associated with long-term care while helping residents defray some of the costs associated with care and delay or avoid residents from tapping into state-funded Medicaid. At worst, residents may misunderstand the limitations of the new law and inadvertently think that all their long-term care needs will be covered, when in fact the benefit is likely to cover only a fraction of care costs. It is critical that Washington residents discuss the impact of the law with their financial professionals today and be aware of their available options. And again, on a national level, the Washington program may pave the road for other states looking for ways to defray the cost of long-term care, especially as it relates to its state-funded Medicaid programs. It is important that clients everywhere understand the true cost of long-term care and what is and isn't covered by Medicare and private health insurance. Now is a key time to educate your clients on their options and help them protect their financial futures. Well, thank you, Anna. Tell us where folks can find more information. Sure. For those wanting more details on Washington's new program, our Advanced Markets team has written a blog. Anna, thanks again for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Thank you, Karen, for having me. And we appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. Thanks for listening. This podcast is for financial professional use only, not intended for use with the general public. For the $10,000 to $15,000 stat referenced from the 2018 Cost of Living Care Survey. For the $8,000 per month stat, 2018 monthly cost based on a facility in Centerville, Massachusetts. This material does not constitute tax, legal, investment, or accounting advice and is not intended for use by a taxpayer for the purposes of avoiding any IRS penalty. Comments on taxation are based on tax law current as of the time Time we produce the material. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company USA, Boston, Mass. 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York. 10595. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in topics discussed should consult their professional advisors to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. M- L-I-N-Y 0721201300.